Top shelf. Vladam Pound. 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 Uh, today we are missing our dear friend Leo. He will not be here for the podcast today. However, we are strong with the back three once again. Except we got a That's right. uh, a new player in the back three slotting in in Leo's position. Nate Bell, of course. Nate, what's up, baby? How are you doing? You can put me on the left side. You know, okay. utilize the left peg a little bit. Okay, nice, it's nice, perfect, perfect, and um, yeah. I will be your captain, so to speak, just kind of moving the ship forward as we go with today's theme, which is going to be USA national team heavy. You know, I think we've we focused on the Premier League a lot, obviously, these past few podcasts. And I don't want this to be a Premier League specific podcast, although we go very hard on Premier League because we <laughs> love our Premier League clubs. Um, but today I want to talk about USA national team and the state of USA soccer. Um, coming off the heels of Nate's conference that he went to, uh, what was it, maybe two, three weeks ago now, Nate? I think two weeks ago, yeah. Two well, weeks ago. So what is this conference, though? Um, so there's a national organization of coaches. used to be called NSCAA. Now it's called United Soccer Coaches. Um, so they organized this conference. And it's the biggest soccer conference in the world with over 20,000 people that come. So it's a mix of seminars, on-field demo sessions, you know, all sorts of vendors come and, and hawk their wares, so to speak. Um, and then it's also where a lot of league meetings and, and different types of meetings take place. Very interesting. Would you say this was uh, American heavy or were there people from all over the world attending this conference? Yeah, it's definitely American heavy, um, the vast majority. There are people from around the world. Um, I would say the majority of the people from outside the United States have some business reason to be there, such as, um, you know, they have Benfica leading seminars and demo sessions. Then you had some other clubs like Dortmund were there. Trying so Celtic to, was there too, right? Celtic were there. A number were trying to like get clubs to pay them to take their branding, so to speak. Um, so you got a lot of that. Right on. So how many coaches did you bring out there? Um, so it was me plus six coaches from, from the club that I run. Very good. And the club that he runs, as a reminder again, for any new listeners, is Park Slope United, based in Park Slope, uh, Brooklyn. Or sorry, just in Brooklyn in general, taking over. And I really want to kind of switch directions here and ask you guys a really important question to kind of, you know, set the bed for this podcast. And what's your favorite USA Soccer Federation moment and or player? So I'm trying to, you know, delve into your minds, maybe go back in history a little bit, or it could be in the present. What is your favorite USA Soccer Federation moment and or player? What are you guys thinking? You know what I think of? It's And it's a moment. It's less about the person. Hmm. And it's, I guess it's relatively recent. 
and it was uh, John Brooks's goal against Ghana in the World Cup, mm-hmm. tied one one. I yeah. ah man, that's one of my favorite all time uh, moments. Uh, not only just because it was a great game to watch and the United States were showing <laughs> we certainly have uh, capabilities. We have the the talent pool is around in my personal belief. Nate, I'm sure you could talk about this a little bit later too. Where we can play with, you know, we can play with some of the best teams in the world. And and so to watch that run that they did and and his goal after he scored was is my favorite goal celebration of all time. Do you remember it? He like yeah. looks up, he can't believe he like look looks up to the sky. He can't believe what just yeah. happened. And all he does, he just goes puts his hands on his head he lays down on the ground like like he could not he couldn't take it and that for me i don't know why that that moment just brings me a lot of joy thinking about it absolutely mine was um yeah do you remember 2010 world cup Mm -hmm. there was um south africa right south africa i was over there and we usa had to beat i believe it was algeria in the last game and Altidore gets it with like a, a minute left, shoots it, a rebound to Donovan, who puts it away. And it was so cool. I was in the stadium. Oh, baby. The, the, wow. Everyone like mobbed each yeah, other. And I was, sitting in, I was sitting right down by the field. Uh, those weren't exactly the seats I paid for, to be honest. Hey, um, no matter. But I was right there. You were like, there? Like, I was about five feet away from all of the – the players mobbing each other. Which can I just go to a story about that same World Cup that relates to you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's hear it. I'm curious what you got. Okay, so all right, so the next game was USA against um Ghana, right? No no no. What was, no no, what was the next game after the Algeria? Cool. Round I can't remember. I have to look that up. All right, whichever team it was, so I went down to like the the nice primo seats by midfield, um, all the way down there and all the seats are filling in around me like, all right, I'm going to have to move until every single seat was filled around me. There's no place to move if the person from the seat came to sit in the seat that where I was, right? You following? That's amazing. Then yep. I see someone walking down and I'm like, all right, that's going to be the person from the seat. I'm going back up to the cheap <laughs> seats. It was Pat Drummond uh-huh. from Nike High School. Yeah, that's amazing. And then we wound up sharing the seat the whole game. Get out of here. That's, <laughs> That's the craziest thing I've ever heard. So Pat, Pat, Pat Gannon and I played high school together, and this is another guy from our team. Yeah, it was really cool. Yeah, and we all played club ball at the same club. Yeah. We were just different uh, age brackets. That's yeah, yeah. crazy. That's crazy. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, they go to every World Cup. Yeah. They get tickets to every single World Cup, but that's unbelievable that uh, uh, you happened – it was him, and you guys shared a seat. That's it amazing. Exactly- so what did you do to share the seat? We Did you like take like ten bunchy. minutes? We each just had one budget on it. That's awesome. That is unbelievably amazing. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And Nate, you were right. It was Ghana, and which is what made the 2014 World Cup when John Brooks scored that goal because we were playing Ghana again in 2014, yes, and we had lost to them. They knocked us out in uh, in 2010. Man. Yeah. Man. So, man. Yeah. That's what awesome. That, that those are two great memories. My memory is actually not. Um, it doesn't have to do with a game. Uh, has to do with an experience actually nate took me to go see usa national team train oh man i don't even remember where we were nate what state was that in and what year was was this it was in connecticut connecticut and what year was this oh my i believe that was the be right before the 2010 world yes because it was the kind of the send-off 
with a send-off okay. game against... Yeah. Um, oh, my goodness. It um, eh, doesn't matter. But still, it was just, um, a great game. We won the game. I got to see the boys train. Uh, got to speak to uh, Bob Bradley. Not personally, just, you know, got... He spoke at us and uh, got to meet got to meet a few uh, USA former national team players like Jeff Agus and stuff like that. And it was just oh, Jeff Agus, what a name! Yeah. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah, and it was just really cool, man. It was just a great experience, uh, and it was my first time seeing uh, peop- uh, players at that high of a level train. And I was just it, it was crazy. <laughs> I grew up, I, I used to go on BigSoccer.com and, you know, I was on the message boards at 14, 15, 16. I was so excited about how we were going to win the World Cup. Um, Carlos Quiroz had written, like, Vision 2010, this this document about how the U.S. was going to win the national, the, the World Cup by, like, 2010. There were a lot of delusions of grandeur in those days, and I was, like, so deep I think there's it. still a lot of delusions of grandeur, but continue. That's true. Yeah. That's true. But like Freddie Adu, I thought that he would become the next guy. And, you know, there was just so much belief about where, obviously, it was almost like a manifest destiny type of thing. Um, And it has absolutely not played out like that. And, you know, I think that there are a lot of reasons why. And, you know, I don't think we have enough time on the podcast for all of them. But I can piece out some of the root things, I think, are, are issues. And especially that's just related to the, the conference. Great. And, you know, I think one of the really root challenges is that there's a culture of structure and formality and not enough of a culture of unstructured and informality around the game as it relates to watching the game, especially with maybe your older brother or sister and their friends or aunt and uncle and just a lot of the, a lot of what surrounds sports such as basketball and American yeah, so football Nate, and baseball. Here. It, it almost sounds like what you're saying is is less about infrastructure, as it might be about like a passion and a love for the game. For sure, um, and what's interesting in this you know, country, U.S. soccer yeah. has yeah, the U.S. soccer has has changed their their model for the coaching education into a play practice play model so that's um that getting the players playing basically in a pickup game to begin with then teach a specific theme and then end with a game giving them tools and prompts to apply those um themes in the game again and i like that um at our club we had been doing that usually we do coaches versus kids especially with the younger ages as they come in um, and then go into the, the main theme with progressions and, and end with the game. Um, but the issue that, to me, if the problem is too much structure, unfortunately, the answer is not necessarily going to come directly from better too much structure. Having opportunities for less structure is more of an answer. 
It's interesting. Um, and there's a real challenge. It's also a cultural challenge because yeah. people don't play outside anymore. And a lot of them are not al- allowed to. Um, like I remember that was normal playing in the neighborhood yeah and 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 in this country too i mean just speaking as someone that's generally a sports fan in the united states of america you know soccer is still just laughed at you know it's just laughed it's just laughed off all major coverage except for when the united states makes a run or when the women do uh really well and, and win the world cup again you know it's that's when we'll see it but there's you know it absolutely vanishes off off the map you know and it and it absolutely pales in comparison to the coverage that football and basketball and even hockey get you know in this country yeah and and the thing is it's like so here we are at the conference and there are some really phenomenal sessions that i i thought was great information from i really like the ones from benfica like celtic it was mostly the ones not from this country although there were some good sessions by led by Americans as well. So I'm not going to say that out of this whole volume. There are also, I thought, some really bad sessions that put out ideas that I think are destructive to to players. Okay, so let me just stop you right there. And it makes me want to ask what, if you have an example of that, that uh, is an idea that might be getting circulated. Yeah, go ahead. Here's a very clear idea. So one person who was the coach educator for a large state in the United States. He had a session and the main theme of the session was not only that you should be yelling at the person with the ball all the time, which I have an issue with, especially if you think about it philosophically, if six people are yelling for the ball at one time, the person on the ball is not, it's not going to help them make a decision. It's going to make it harder for them to make a decision and it's going to, they're gonna gonna be self-reliant to have the right body position, make sure they're checking their shoulders, etc. So I have an issue with that to begin with. And he's saying, yeah, the whole theme was make sure you yell at the guy on the ball, even from far away. But then his like breakthrough discovery was the person on the ball should also acknowledge that he heard everyone yell for the ball, six people at the same time. And they have to throw up a, a, a thumbs up in the air while dribbling and trying to maintain possession so that every person who yelled at him knows that he heard them yell at him. Surely this can't be, this can't be real. That's unbelievable. Okay, what do you think that the 20 coaches around me were doing? Did you all just look at each other? Asking, just like- questions. Asking questions, no doubt. Well, well there's like... Hundreds and hundreds of people there. It's, it's a huge hall. I mean, you did all the hands go up? Did every single hand in the whole place go up? There's no asking questions. There's no raising your oh, hand. Oh, brutal. Because so there are too many people. So everyone's looking think? at each other like, what the fuck is yeah. going on? Okay. So myself and the coaches in the club that I run, we're looking at each other like, what is going on? And every single other person around us was scribbling down. And I was Naturally. looking at the notes. Yep. Like – Ah, thumbs oh. up at the person yelling at them. And I even heard like four coaches look at each other and be like, yeah, this is really going to make a difference in my team. And at what level, at what level, may I ask, would that make a difference? I, I don't, I, I think it'll only make a, <laughs> That's a negative difference. Yeah, don't but, answer but, that question. But, <laughs> but, but, here, but here's, this is one of many, many pieces of information, many good 
many bad in my opinion. Right. Um, Give an example of one more, maybe. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm now I'm just interested. I, I'm gonna, I'm, I'm gonna move on because there's so much. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So but Nate, that, but the yeah. To me, the issue here is that rather than the things that take a long time, like building a culture within a club or within a town of of people embracing the game and building shared experiences and kind of rituals, if you were, around the game that make it really special and attractive to kids to be involved in and parents to be involved in. There's a lot of like clinging to the next idea that's out there. Hmm. And so what you wind up having is we talk about like what's the American style. And of course you can't say what the American style really is because whatever is kind of the sexy idea, not just a coach will pick it up, but it almost feels like the entire United States soccer world will shift. Yeah, and and Nate, here and there, and that's a big that's a big ship. Yeah. that's trying to steer and change direction like that. Yeah, and what, I, what I feel like I'm hearing you say too kind of just reflects like a deeper, like psychological problem in the psyche of, of like the general populace of America. Like you say, these people are are taking you know they're taking notes frivolously about this idea that even I hear with no coaching experience. And I just wonder <laughs> how that's any sort of uh, thing that you should write down and go- take back to your, to your team and, and your club and just say, Hey, I learned this really awesome technique. Let's just try it. Let's try yelling at each other for the entire training session. So, so there's just like this lack of creativity and, and original thinking that seems like, uh, go. It, which is generally not a is a problem in in society at large, but that's you know, obviously a different discussion. But it seems like it's reflected in you know uh, the 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 coaching community in, I, for the United States. I just I just be, before I ask my next question, I just cannot believe that this guy wanted players to acknowledge players with a thumbs up. Yeah, you know what I saw in my head as soon as you said that, Nate. I imagined Messi dribbling the ball and just like. <laughs> Thumbs up. thumbs up just like yeah in the champions league you know it, it almost makes me feel like there's some sort of a don't what is this about like hurting the players feelings uh why do we need to acknowledge the players around us like that is that is that gonna keep the team together more was there like some sort of philosophy behind that or? i know i know i know your brain is breaking i'm sorry i just <laughs> i <laughs> there was no rationale really given no. except that this was the breakthrough idea that the, everyone should write down and, okay. and well and, and but but those same people and here here here's the larger point those same people who are writing that down and going to implement it one year from now they're going to be back realizing that idea did not solve all my problems <laughs> of my team and my club and my right, right. You know, whatever it yep. is and they're going to be looking for the answer again because no one's thinking of it on that, their own. And my point is that there's no answer at all. There's no answer that doesn't take more than 10 years. I like, you know, yep. like to build players is a very long term process. And, you know, we, we experience it in our area as well, where clubs are go around, talk to parents, tell like, yeah, I'm going to get them here. I'm going to get them look here and I'm going to get them this and I'm going to get them that. And, you know, that's the landscape is this grab and grab and go culture versus the build and develop culture 
And it, we're, since we're all working in this landscape, it's just a hard holding like pot for, for the work that should be done. Hmm. It's um it's interesting. And I, I've known I know I've known you to travel a lot and you know, I've always look at the uh, the Park Slope United Instagram and I see you popping up in uh Spain and Croatia and, and uh I mean so many different countries in the you know, Caribbean, Europe, just everywhere. And uh what are clubs doing around the world, you know, as far as this, um, this structure or lack thereof goes, uh, do, are you seeing this community feel in some of the bigger clubs you visited or is there this, um, this sense of overstructured that maybe works for them abroad, but not us here? How does that work? Well, I lived at Dinamo Zagreb in the Academy when about 10 years ago, I was with a 12-year-old player who was living over there. And it was a really interesting experience. And I was doing my Master's of Sports Psychology at the time and did a project examining how it is that Croatia produces so much talent per capita. Um, so I got to interview national team coaches and administrators and coaches at Dinamo Zagreb that produced just about the whole Croatian national team. And what my takeaway is, it's not revolutionary, but that you need both a highly structured progressive academy with clear communication between what's happening at every age group so that as you move coaches or there is a progression and following a curriculum the whole way, while also having a daily pickup culture, which Croatia has both of those. And most places all around the world you know, it's kind of one or the other. The other thing that I think is is really different about the U.S. versus everywhere else in the world is that something that's coming up into the news now, training compensation, which is basically if a player signs a professional deal or gets transferred, the teams, including amateur teams that develop that player between 12 and 18, they get a share of that compensation. Hmm. And what what really happens is that amateur teams as well as professional teams are really incentivized to try to make their best players as absolutely good as they can be. Um, and there's a clear financial incentive. So what does that mean? Maybe that means you're hiring another technical trainer who's working with finishers and, and wingers because you have some guys that really might make it. So you pour everything you possibly can into developing those players. And there's a clear relationship between the amateur teams with, you know, a third division team, second division team, a first division team, where when a player moves between one club and another, there's a clear compensation all the way down the ladder. And that really aligns people much better. The work that's happening for a player, they may move to a number of different clubs along their journey. But it aligns the clubs to try to maximize while everything they can of the player while they can, and then move them along at the right time to the next step. Whereas in the United States, it's really all about how can you keep the parents happy and <clears throat> what keeps the parents happy. That's the way you keep the lights on is winning games 
and there's nothing close. There's I've been doing this 20 years now. Winning games makes everyone feel good and makes them believe. So, you know, it's it's kind of too we talk about pay for play, etc. And people still pay in Europe as well, typically not as much. But it's the lack of alignment throughout the whole structure that I think is really really bad. And so everywhere in US soccer is just an absolute wild west with coaches from different clubs talking to parents and them bringing them over here. If they lose a game, then they I want to have a meeting with the club president to displace their displeasure. It's all over the place, just about every club in the United States. Whereas I'm not saying there isn't some of this. It is a tough industry in other places in the world, but it's so much more. It's a good visual. It's a good so visual of uh, it being the wild west. You know, it's, I feel like that's something that wow. doesn't really, get you know, and I'm, I have a, I have another visual. I mean, are you saying soccer moms hold the most power <laughs> in, in in USA soccer? That's what it sounds like. One hundred. Wow, isn't that power, interesting? Power group. About that. They're a power group. I could just I could see a soccer mom with her minivan with like uh, uh, just the world underneath her foot, about to crush it, and it's like a soccer ball. Oh, there That's you go. a good vision. That is a good vision. <laughs> And it's just Nate. Plus, plus, who, who sits on the board of these? Who sits on the board of most of these youth soccer? Yeah, you clubs? know, Nate. You remember my da- parents in the yeah, club with, Nate, oftentimes with no soccer. Nate, experience. you remember my dad? Uh, he ran Clarkstown for, uh, yeah. for a little bit, and he did it for one year. And I've I've never seen him more unhappy in my whole life. Yeah. Just like dealing with what he had to deal with. He only did it for a year, and he's a soccer. Oh, guy. he loves it, and that's that was the issue, though. And he knows the game and plays right, the game right, right, right. And, and but so to go over to the administrative side, he couldn't. He just could not handle that. And it was it had a lot to do with the parents. So, you know. Well, I have I have a degree in sports administration, a master's degree in sports administration, and parents is what I've been dealing with for the majority of my career. Uh, now that I'm in a high school as a high school PE teacher, I don't really deal with parents as, as often, but um, I'll tell you what Nate has is bringing up a lot of good points and it's all about keeping parents happy. I don't care if it's a soccer team, a summer camp, uh, school. Um, if parents are happy, your lights stay on and everyone's happy. Yeah. And you know, if that, if that comes in the, the form of wins, then so be it. And even if it comes to the, um, just degradation of your your uh, your players' development, you know, which which is just terrible, which is just absolutely terrible. Man, I'm learning. But I here. feel for, but but being involved in this, I feel for. I look at all these clubs as colleagues, you know, and everyone is doing what they're incentivized to do, you know, and whether it be just play the strongest players at U8 so that you know they can win and keep those kids. The alternative is people have livelihoods. You know, they're, they have their kids of their own. They don't want the clubs to fold and jobs to disappear. You know, there's a major pressure on people and even clubs that are coming and trying to talk to the, our parents and tell them to come over. Like, they're trying to support their club and, and their staff and their staff's kids, etc. Mm. So it, it's, you it's know. It's a wild west out there. It's just what happens. Yeah. No, I mean, yeah, I, I, I was curious if Nate had a...
anything positive that came out of the conference because we kind of delved pretty heavily into into what was wrong. (laughs) Is there a light at the end of the tunnel, Nate? I mean, what's going on out there? I mean, I think the overall level of of play continues to to increase. I think that uh, the MLS academies keep doing a better and better job um, in terms of coaching, structure, etc., um, I think that, I think that everything, I won't say everything is moving in the right direction. And you've seen that with, at the higher level with the national team level players and MLS players, there hasn't been a, a, a direct improvement, mm-hmm. but with the interest in the game and as more kids play at school and wear jerseys to school and talk about it, there's these kids are growing up with so much more than we did. Wow, you're so up. right. And you know, I think there's there's hope on the scale that we have in this country with 300 million people and the increased like interest that even if things don't markedly improve in terms of the structure and alignment, we're going to keep getting a better overall level. And, and that that rising tide lifting all boats is definitely true the level of play across the youth and the leagues is rising as a whole. So that will ultimately help the top players just get a better developmental experience by nature of the general player body improving. Yeah. I feel, I feel like we've always, uh, my personal belief is we've always had the talent pool. I think it's here, man. There's no doubt that uh, a country of our size should be able to, to produce, (laughs) you know, 11 really good players. (laughs) you know, at least or whatever, but. And there's some exciting players. Um, Gio Reyna. Yeah. He got his debut at Dortmund not too long ago. Are you for or against having our national team players play abroad rather than stay in the MLS? Good question. I'm. It's gotta be abroad, right? Nate? I'm for the, the players going to the best place for their development. And what I what a coach that, that that weird answer is that, to the coach is that each kid comes from a different is a different situation, and it's so much easier to say this is what's right for players or this is what's right for players. And my experience as a college coach and recruiting players in college and seeing them go through their college experience is that it needs to be the right place for the player at the right time. And for some players, you know, for some of our players, we say, Hey, you know, the, the family has a schedule that's tough or this thing, this is the right type of thing It's probably with us do some more training, et cetera. For a family that has a more flexible schedule is able to make the training, et cetera. Well, maybe it's time for you to, to look at NYCFC or Red Bulls for another family that, you know, are very international focused and, the parents travel for work and have a flexible schedule and have the means, then we have some kids who are going and training in Europe on a regular basis. Now they've proved themselves at some professional clubs. So to me, you can't just whitewash that answer. It, you really have to break it down. And this is where I say there's like, there's no answer is that you have to break it down to giving a level of attention that allows each player to be surrounded by the right players and coaches at the time, at the right time in their development. Yeah. Nate, that's 
Very well said. I think that's true that uh, everybody needs, not everybody responds to, to something the same way. So what's best for a player is never the same thing, for sure. And, 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 what are you, what's your opinion on sacrifice? You know, what about um, maybe some of the U.S., you know, maybe potentially U.S. national team players or just U.S.-born players in general playing in the MLS who are not playing abroad, who maybe could be, should be, uh, haven't tried it for uh, some sort of reason. Um, yeah, a lot of professionals who've played abroad uh, would say that not at least giving it a chance is is robbing yourself of something special, especially in your development. Uh, do you agree with that? I mean, I, I think that a player's career is so short that, yes, you know, like it was great. Michael Bradley came and, you know, helped build MLS and gave legitimacy. Lionel Donovan was there, et cetera. To me, a player should have no, no loyal – their number one loyalty should be to their own career. There you go, it's Nate. It's so short. Tell them. Amen. It's so short. There's so, there's so little um, – window to to make money or make memories or build your build your personal brand like who's gonna have loyalty to you no there one are very few people yep very few who are gonna actually definitely not be the loyal clubs to you pro clubs you are an asset to them yep that's it you know and even at many amateur clubs yep. you're just an asset to them you're so, just a line on a piece of paper yep yeah so as a player you, I'm not just saying go make that money. I'm saying find the right situations for yourself and and go do that, wherever that may be. Amen. We don't often take a look at the human side of these players. We just look at, you know, the number and the the letters in the back of their shirt and their performances week in, week out, and we don't understand that there are actual emotions and things that go behind the decisions they make, whether to stay at a club, leave a club. You know, anything really. So, yeah. Any, anything else, guys? No, man. I'm actually impressed. I, I, we didn't, uh, we were talking about United States soccer and we didn't even bring up Christian Pulisic, not even one time. So, that's impressive. <laughs> that's well done, boys. Well done. Very impressive. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. All right. So, uh, we're going to drop it for there. Um, drop it there for today. Thank you for joining us as usual. And next episode, we're going to talk a little bit about Tottenham. We're going to talk a little further about Nate's comments. Is there a oh, they're much awaited. I can't wait. This is a few pods oh, now. We have to no. wait. Is there a striker <laughs> on every premiership team, oh, Premier League team, better than Harry Kane? I love it. Do you still believe that to be true? Have you thought about it? Well, let, let's – I mean, it sounds stupid hearing it back. But that's also because he hasn't been on the field. Let's see him come back and let. Well, he's not even on the field right now. That's he's not going to come back. Yeah. So he's off the field a lot. It's it's tough to see people get injured, but yeah, let's see. I think we should come up with maybe five or six clubs that maybe you know we're not talking Liverpool or 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 you know Manchester City. What about half? What about half of the Premier League clubs? Half, half. That's fair. I feel like that's okay, a good challenge. Yeah. We'll see if we could do ten teams. Ten teams. Were you ten teams uh, where you would take a striker <laughs> over Harry Kane? Yes, we don't have a good name for the bit yet, but we'll figure out one. I'm sure Pat yeah, will come up with something clever. We'll, we'll figure it out. Yeah, maybe, 
right. And uh, yeah, so from all of us here at Top Shelf, thank you very much. We'll see you next episode. I love y'all. <laughs> Hit my rolling chair. Hit me quickly with the folding chair. Kick these swiftly like jolly pants.